There are those who say that life is an illusion, and that reality is simply a figment of the imagination. Look who the birds have brought us this week. Welcome, and congratulations for crossing the threshold of realities. There's much to share if you know the language of the birds. Welcome back to the Godbox Cafe. I'm your host and audio architect, Valkyrie, and I'd like to introduce you to Reverend Nicole. Tupechka is an ordained minister, a visionary educator, artist, and guide who helps people through the most significant transformations in life which are occurring as we speak. She often is called upon for support, wisdom, and strategy in times of challenge and change. Her perspectives help people understand themselves, their relationships, and their legacy. She believes in honoring life, death, rebirth cycles with ritual, presence, and community using nature to support these natural cycles of life. And how appropriate to bring that into our sphere of awareness at a point where we have reached the spring equinox. So achieving that balance is perfect at a time where we have been given the opportunity celestially to harness that energy. Nicole has volunteered in hospice, helped individuals and families through death and grief, helped with kids' drum camps for grieving, collected and prepared herbs for ceremony, and played live music with her partner Trevor at life celebrations. She's also interested in mediumship and currently building a holistic funeral home model. This is something we are definitely going to dive deep into because there is a massive need for this. Nicole, welcome to the God Box Cafe. I am so glad to have you here and so appreciate your dedicating time to sharing your wisdom. Let's start out with the fact that our current society, as far as Western civilization is concerned, does not deal with death in a fashion that makes allowances for these rites of passage and understanding the cycle of life, I would like your view on exactly how we can rectify that, especially given the amount of death as a consequence of the pandemic that has swept the world over the last two years. What would you say is the way that we can start approaching the concept of death not from a fearful fashion, but from an accepting of the fact that this serves as a transition for every life. Well, thank you so much for having me for this conversation that I feel it's one of the most important conversations. Like we all are going to face our own death at some point in our lives. We will face many deaths for people around us. It is the, the only thing we're guaranteed in life is that it will end. And what I really realized is many people are not comfortable talking about death and leave it until it happens. And then we're kind of blindsided. And so I feel like opening up these conversations just with everyone, the same you would learn how to brush your teeth, you learn, you know, you're going to grow up, this is the trajectory of your life, including death in that at some point, and you can't control and I can't control and no one can control only the great mystery is controlling when our time will be. And what does that look like? And how do we deal with that? What is spirit? I think that's what so many people are longing for at this point in time is a, a more spiritual spirited life to make sense of 
what is going on on earth and, and what is, is going to happen next and how do we deal with that and how do we trust the process of how things are evolving? And I think that is to come to spirit. And what is spirit's journey? How does it come into the body? How does it live in our bodies as we're, you know, alive on the planet? And what are we supposed to achieve in these bodies? And then when it is our time to pass, you know, wherever your belief is that that is, which is very important, I think, for all of us in our lifetimes to think about that and discover for ourselves, whether it's through different spiritual practices, religious followings, to develop your own sense of, of curiosity of what is the spirit realm? Where will I go when my parents pass or family members pass? Where do I think that they're going? Is there an idea about where I think they're going that might give me a greater sense of peace? Um, so I think to just open, and I think the first step for really dealing with death is to start having natural, regular conversations about it and not have it be this taboo subject that is, oh, he passed, but we don't talk about it because it's really hard and it just upsets them. So we'll just kind of pretend it didn't happen or they can deal with it in private. I think really coming together as communities as earth family to each other to honor the life process the death process to look at those feelings what are your own fears about death and um, what are your own feelings about it how can you have a relationship with it for yourself first and foremost that feels more natural as natural as it really is and to go into some of those uncertain waters because it can be uncomfortable to think about wow my spirit came into this body and then one day it's going to go and i have no control over that that can be very uncomfortable to think about. So I think having these conversations, especially for me, you know, with people that have dealt with a lot of death and it's just so natural to them. It's like, of course, they're here. They get to live their life. Then they go on. It's all natural. You know, some people believe we have many lifetimes. And um, so it's just all kind of getting curious about what is our, our soul's journey and what are other soul's journey. And then really thinking about these times of transition as these big markers within our life, the same as our birthdays, wedding days, graduations, celebrations, I believe that death should be no different. Honoring the life for what it is and not all that we're losing and missing. It's like all that we gained by this individual being here. How can we celebrate it? How can we carry on their legacies? How can we still have a connection with their essence? Once they've passed, how do we want to remember them? Do we want to grow a tree in their honor that we can visit? Do we want to make a commitment to ourselves to carry on qualities or virtues that they embodied that we really love and they feel taught us? So we're a living legacy of what they believed in. So I think it's first and foremost getting curious, having your own personal connection, and then starting to see if you can if we change our perspective about it to really view it as the natural process that it is. That is beautifully articulated. Would you say that to some degree, this negativity towards death is connected to the fact that our culture emphasizes youth and staying young and the value of looking young and the whole anti-aging and what we need to do so that we don't look wrinkled. There isn't a celebration of a woman who achieves her cronehood. There is negative connotation to the idea of women being elders at the point in which they no longer are fertile and able to produce children. So the value of that person is somewhat diminished as they get to a point where they're aging and the notion of elderly has such a negative connotation to it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, one of these issues that I feel like it starts to stem into so many other issues, because really, I think it's how, how you're saying we value the elderly, the aging, how do we care for them? Are they just forgotten members of society? Or, or are they included? And do we complete the cycle? Like we're cared for as children, then we age, and then naturally, that next generation would come and really holistically care for us. And we just don't really have that same sort of model, you get to be a, an adult, and then you're off in the world for yourself. And then hopefully you can save up enough retirement and whatever that the system can care for you and there's not that same holistic model of the families stepping in helping the elderly the youth wanting to learn the stories from the elders and you know be taught by them and really respecting them like you're saying it is the value the worth the uh, the power that the youth possesses and that yeah it just really all comes down to this power struggle I mean like an ego struggle like immortality the beauty I'll stay young and innocent and all this forever and but really seeing that, you know, to have that true spirited, spiritual experience, what a gift. The biggest blessing is for your soul to get time to experience. So to live to be in your old age, in your 80s, 90s, you know, however long you're going to live, what a gift that your your soul gets that much time to go through these lessons in life and experience and celebrate the wisdom that you've earned and celebrate the badges of honor that you've earned for all the experiences you've gone through in your life. So I think as a society, as a culture, we could really put so much more respect, honor, reverence on the elderly. And how do we then care for them? What do they need? Not just locking them away in homes, but including them, asking them their perspectives, their stories, their wisdom, caring for them and and giving culture back and still including them as a valuable part of our society. The other point I wanted to make to get your feedback, given your direct personal experience and where your vocation is as far as ushering souls into their next journey, to what degree would you say, based on the observations that you have made over the time that you have been doing this, is technology to some extent getting in the way of the connection that we were just talking about earlier, when you have a whole generation of young people so tied to their phones and to the internet and how they gain information through a machine as opposed to information that would be passed on from the elderly as far as the wisdom that they could provide based on the length of time that they have lived. And I've had many young people say, well, you don't know anything about what's going on now. So how could I look to you for advice? Because you haven't lived what I'm living and I've got to find other ways of getting information that would provide the necessary solution to whatever problem I'm facing right now. So there is a tendency and a dependency to rely on the machine instead of the wisdom of the elder. Yeah, I think that's like kind of this double-edged sword of this whole technology you know, topic is like, wow, what an amazing tool and how vast and how much information we can get. And you know, just at our fingertips, everything is, is right there. So I believe that's so this quality, you know, quantity sort of thing where you can have every sort of information, but then there's just things that technology cannot do. Technology does not have its own heartbeat and, and warmth of a body and look of a presence in your eyes and some things just human to human, the emotions. Technology doesn't have an emotional intelligence aspect to it. And that human connection, that is fundamentally a need we have as humans. And so it's amazing that we can have 
access to all of this information, but I think that true uh, connection, intimacy, is really something that, as I'm studying these rituals and all of these things through the stands of time, these ancient rituals that have gone through civilization, civilization to now, the common thread that it's always part of ritual is intimacy. It is being right there, like sensual, touching, you're smelling, you're sensing, you're tasting, you're experiencing, you're crying, you're together. There's this togetherness and intimacy. And that's what I feel like is the most healing essence and why this whole idea of looking at challenge and hard times in life is providing that intimacy and connection to make it easier for us to see that we, in, in fact, are really one. We are together. And when we come together, it's easier to deal with these challenges. And it's not just a concept or a thought or something we've read, but a true feeling in our bodies by just being close with another person, feeling their care. Your phone can tell you anything, but it can't say, I care. I care that you know this. I'm here. I'll call you back. You have to ask the questions but the phone isn't going to ask you your opinion. And I think to have that engagement is just so necessary for us to feel safe and held in the healing. Especially at a point where there is so much that's unstable and shifting and moving so quickly. And I think the perception of time is dramatically different. I know when I was growing up, there wasn't that rushed sense of everything going so quickly that you didn't have a moment to pause and breathe and to integrate and to process. There is just this constant need to move forward and keep going. And I was talking to my son, who's a musician, about nostalgia and the fact that he said, oh, yeah, nostalgia now is a blink. It's a, a heartbeat. Already something's old because it was yesterday, literally mm -hmm, yesterday. Mm -hmm. And uh, that transience of time seems to put people at a state of unease. And I think perhaps, as you made mention, ritual serves a huge purpose there. Could you delve into that notion of ritual and how that ritual would be properly expressed now versus what may have been done thousands of years ago when people weren't looking at clocks every 20 minutes? Yes, yeah, it's so interesting. I've been on this time trip recently and you're having a lot of conversations about time and lots of healing work. You're working in the past, you're working in the future, you're working in the present. And I really think time is just a construct. We can talk for hours, what is it? And so to see how we are currently stimulated, I think is, is how we can look at time. We have 24 hour availability, everything. You can get anything you want, any time of day. We're, we're on these screens, provides blue light, you know, that makes us feel like it's daytime. Feeling like we're so connected through these magical devices that we can be connected everywhere in the world at once. You can scroll for t one minute and can travel the whole world and live in 15 people's lives and so much we're being fed. And I think that every person, you know, that has access to technology is overstimulated and that we need to take that time to silence ourselves, to experience the magic of our own consciousness, our own minds, our own electrical body, our own physical body, to think about our own thoughts. I moved out to Caledon, I live in the forest now, but I was living in Toronto for seven years, something like that, and I just felt like, whoa, there's so much that is around us, just the waves and the people talking and 
and the suggestions and the arts and it's a lot. And to, and I see that nowadays we're living life in a, in a much different way than we were, say, a thousand years ago or, you know, even a hundred years ago, even 20 years ago. Even I, you know, grew up before the age of the cell phone. Wow, it's so crazy. I think just days going, you just call a friend, you'd go out, no one knew where you were, you were free, you had paper maps. It was such a different way of living. And that allowed for more of that space and time to just think about yourself, your own life, your own thoughts, your own spiritual connection, to really be more present with another person in the moment. And now that we have all of these distractions and, and everything's just available right there, right now, so much, I think we really have to write that into our schedule the same way that we put brushing our teeth. Like we need to do that every day, we do. And taking that silent time to just be with yourself and experience yourself as a being, to clear your mind, to clear your thoughts, to process some emotion, to, to manifest, to think about what you want in your life, and even just to sift through. Is what you're thinking really even your own thoughts? Or is it something you picked up? Is there something, that's, something else that's twirling around in there? So I think taking that time really should be just ingrained in us now as, as a necessary step for clearing our minds and having command over ourselves and how we want to live. Yes, I can certainly attest to the fact that doing daily routines that would allow you to find yourself in a place of balance gives you that much more strength when it comes to encountering a situation where you have perhaps a sudden loss that wasn't even necessarily anticipated. So what have you experienced directly when it comes to attending to people who have encountered a loss that was sudden versus one that, say, a person had a, a long lingering chronic illness and this is just moving towards what one would call a, a natural progression of making a transition out of this world? Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge, the sudden loss, is, is really the question of why. And because it's, it's an unanswerable question that there's no reason. It's like, why? Because that's how it was. The great mysteries plan. And that happened to be the day or the time. And yeah, I think from the question, the unanswered question, why can come the blame, the guilt, the, oh, if I just did this, if I came home at this time, if they shouldn't have went on that trip, I knew I like, so it seems the hardest thing that comes with the sudden loss is the feeling of guilt that I find that people left behind can often be burdened with feeling like if I could have done something different, I could have altered the course or the trajectory of what, the, what reality is. We all know that's just not the case. We don't have control over anything. And everything is working out just as it is supposed to, as hard as that is to digest when it comes to more tragic experiences. But I feel like that's really the only notion of relief that I have found for myself through loss and that I've seen through these threads with various people that have had these hardships is that's the best way to come to the, the peace is just to say, this is what happened because it's what happened. And so that's the way it was meant to go. This must have been just the amount of time I was able to have with them. Maybe their soul is called on a different journey. Maybe there's another way they're going to help or transcend or evolve that we don't understand. And I think we can really torment and torture ourselves by trying to play God, understanding why. Why did this happen? And we may never know. So I think the acceptance 
in in some of these sudden situations is really not to say like I'm okay that this happened but to say I have to accept how this happened because otherwise I could potentially be tormented the rest of your life and have your life taken away expending this energy and the why 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 that's just not possible to answer why was it that person's time So as a counselor and a specialist in providing support, what steps would you take based on the circumstances that people find themselves in to provide the best amount of assistance under these situations where the emotions are running very high? So I think presence, like that's the best way to, you know, help diffuse um, and hold space for these emotions or not even diffuse, just hold space, you know, these emotions play out and and let um, the individual know it's safe, whatever emotions that you're needing to have. Um, And then I think at that time, you know, when you're going through any sort of trauma, putting in place the pillars that are needed, who can you talk to? Do you have your basics covered? Can anyone help you with food? Can they help you with supports? A lot of times people will need extra support with funeral planning or some of these end of life decisions that they're just, it's just a lot of minor decisions, but in a distressed state can feel challenging to make. So I find checklists, having things that you can come to, maybe calling on a friend or support system to support you with those necessary administrative things that need to be done. I think, you know, some of these like natural ancient healing techniques of just, you know, going to the earth, being in nature, taking that time. And the, what we loved at the drum camps for children is, is using something like a drum to get the emotions out, to get it moving. And we're not even trying to understand them at that point, but just process and move some of that energy with things like dancing, drumming, being on the earth, trying to, to diffuse that a little bit. Um, and then I think the rituals, I find the rituals really help in channeling that some of that grief, this energy into honoring. And so it's still processing and going through the experience but honoring and, and doing the best that you can to put your love into this process as much as you can and, and honor this individual. And then, of course, you know, your own spiritual practices, prayer, having your own understandings and, and thinking about what is life for you? What, what is going on? What are your beliefs about what's going to happen after? Some people also use things like mediums or other spiritual counselors that might help them have an extra sense of, of connection or communication, especially in, in tragic circumstances or sudden death. And then I think, you know, really just to allow what's going to come up to come up and to have that be your, your mantra as you go through it, creating a container for yourself to say, Grief is messy. Grief is a process. It's not an event like, okay, the funeral happens today and then I'll be good. Knowing and almost expecting I'm going to still have some hard days. I'm going to have some days where I miss this person. What am I going to do on those days? How will I deal with that? And then I think even the thing that comes up for everyone that deals with the death around them is their own facing of their own mortality. And, oh, I'm going to die too. And people around me are going to die. And and to look at that, I think what can be very healing and motivating at that time is to think about what do you need to do to make sure you've lived your life to the fullest? Even with the person that's passed, I've seen so much healing and just this amazing, miraculous transfer of these virtues and essences when someone says, you know what, my friend always wanted to take that trip and they never got to. So I'm going to take the trip and I'm going to go and I'm going to make sure that their wish was fulfilled and I'm going to make sure I'm fulfilling my own wishes in my life. So I think that is one of the most major healing tools we have is to make sure our own life and energy is used for our own, you know, wildest dreams and desires while we have the privilege and gift of being in these bodies still. We have 
found that many people mask their pain through a number of chemicals that alter your state of mind that can numb you down. What is most acceptable culturally in the Western world is alcohol, but there are a number of other agents that produce that numbing effect. And as a consequence, we have what we could easily describe in psychological circles that everyone has come to know, even those who are not within the profession, is opioid crisis. And Mm -hmm. quite often, this opioid crisis has resulted in overdoses, and in some instances are done in such a way that it is a deliberate taking of one's own life, because the pain has become unbearable. And that just seems like the best and only way out. And sadly, it is prevalent amongst young people. So once again, my son had, by the time he was 25, he lost five friends to opiates. What do you do with respect to counseling on the part of those who have survived a situation where we're dealing with a suicide or a life that was taken as a result of some kind of a drug abuse situation? Even in my own personal experience, so this is part of my journey with death and obsession with life is that I've had my own journeys of you know, suicidal feelings and dealing with chronic health conditions and, and having to use something else instead of opioids and finding that um, those healing tools and ways to cope that are more healthy and more life-giving rather than taking. I think the the main thing is to, again, accept that those feelings are there, that you have these intense feelings, and then finding a positive coping mechanism, something that might still be intense. I mean, I find things like cold plunges. Some people get obsessed with working out. Some people channel these creativity into a passion or a business or having community support, you know, going to sweats together, finding ways to have still intense experiences to get these intense emotions out, but that are healthier. And so I find that Trying to say we shouldn't have these feelings or, oh, you should just go deal with that with your therapist. I think the feeling that we have to be closeted about these feelings that are hard. And as a society saying, hey, you've been through some hard things. It makes sense that you're having these intense and hard feelings. That's human. Now, what can we do to help support you while you're having these feelings so that you're not feeling like you just have to do anything possible to shut them off? And I think that that's why I love helping people get into whether it's dynamic kind of activities that are saying, I get you have intense emotions. Let's go axe throwing. Let's do the cold plunge. Let's go to a Kung Fu class. It's like, get that energy out and be in it. Scream in the forest. There's all of these wonderful different, um, you know, meditations and, and things that you can do to say, hey, it's okay that the emotion's here. I welcome it. I'm ready to, pr- I want to process it. And in safe containers where people can hold that space for you saying it's safe to go into these because once you go into them, we can actually process them. We don't have to just shove it down and have it in that place. So I feel like, again, that's like this conversation that can stretch so far into how we treat ourselves and what we do, how we treat others who are going through hard situations. How do we hold space from them? Even going into, you know, workplaces. How are these type of conversations at work? My partner and I have done meditations in, in boardrooms where someone will come to us at the end crying, saying, 
oh, you know, my cat died yesterday and I didn't even tell anybody because I didn't know who to tell at work. It's not really acceptable at this point for people to say, I'm having a hard time with my emotions. And that's part of the human experience. And I think if we even just treated individuals in the workplace with more compassion and support, how much more productive would workplaces be? How much more productive would our friendships be? And if we could really feel like I can come to you with all of me and you can come to you with all of you and there's space for that because that's the human journey. And so all of these hard feelings, especially feelings like the overwhelming emotions that people feel like they have to end their life because they're having, I think it's so important that we as a society make more safe containers where people can come and share those feelings without being stigmatized or have repercussions against them for reaching out for support and really have that be looked at with strength and value of, wow, thank you for coming and, and having these hard and difficult conversations and bearing your truth so that you can actually work through them and not just turning to these other things that are ultimately going to be more destructive. Preventive medicine, most assuredly, the idea of addressing depression to a point where it doesn't escalate is the best possible solution. But with that actually occurring, say, what would you do on the part of parents who have survived the loss of a child who has taken their own life? Because undoubtedly, they would be dealing with the notion of guilt with respect to how could we have parented differently and then end up blaming themselves as far as why this kind of choice would have been made where their child was concerned. I think, again, it's finding, you know, support systems that can hold space for all the emotions that you're having. I mean, I've even had experiences where there's been a sense of relief after a death like that because the parent was already waiting every day. When is there going to be a death? Like, it's just a matter of time. There's always something with this child. There's so many different feelings, I think, that can come up. But ultimately, I think, again, some of these these hard spiritual truths for us is accepting, even if someone is your, your child, your partner, your husband, your mother, so closely linked to us, we are still our own sovereign soul living in our own body and reality. And so I think to come back to that anchor of truth saying, whatever that soul had to go through in their life, and their experience and their karma and their journey and their teachings, was theirs. And as much as it might affect you or hurt you, or you may miss them, or you feel these different things, you now have your own soul's journey and your own responsibility to yourself. And so I think getting all the support that you can at that time to honor your life and live your life and focus back on you. Because I've seen a, yeah many cases where it's just such grieving and a, and a loss of another person's life after an incident like this, where I think the overarching truth, I think, is that the best way to honor any life lost is to live a more full and rich life as best you can with whatever you have left. So I think at that point, the best thing to do is to try to refocus, to see what you need to do to build yourself up. That's a, such a trap. Again, getting in the why, what could I have done? And again, just coming back to that sovereign place in yourself saying, this is how it went and this is how it is. And there's, there's nothing I could have done. So except now live my own life to the fullest ability that I can. And if that means having to get additional supports or additional counseling or different things like that, then it may need a, a team of support to help you then stay in your wellness. 
Let's change the focus a bit because you provide a multitude of services along those lines. And let's aim at how you best bring about a person's transition instead of the people who survive that person. What do you do to facilitate the transition to a person who knows that they are reaching the end of this current incarnation? The main thing is is hold space for what the person wants because it's such an individual process. And I think that's the best result for anyone transitioning is to do it how they want because it's their life and this is their journey. And this is the last decision they'll get to make in, in this body or series of decisions. So I think being present and a lot of the hospice training, it's really focused around death with dignity. And it's all about dignity. If someone's you in a, in a terminal situation and they want to eat ice cream every meal for the next two weeks, it's their thing. You're not trying to tell them to eat broccoli or why would do it this way or force anything on anyone. It's it's what do you want? What would make you feel good? Who do you want there? Do you want music? Do you want prayers? I think all the end of life decisions, how you want your, you know, your body to be prepared and remembered and then celebrated. And so it, it's really, I think, just a, a listening process, truly, you know, knowing the questions to ask. How do you want this to happen? What will the timings be like? Who do you want there? What beliefs do you have or what spiritual dimensions of yourself would you like represented? And then a lot of the, the work that I find really amazing too is some of this legacy work. So it's if someone has stories that they want to tell or projects or something that they want a closed loop, so to speak, before they go, you know, to really help them and facilitate in that way too. It's honoring their time here on earth and what they feel like their dharma or their purpose was to be here. But yeah, I mean, I've seen so many different things animals, all different faiths. So there's so many different cultural preparations, ways that, that people want to be honored, remembered, things that families would do, rituals, songs, prayers, readings. So I think setting up process of sorts and then the, the ceremony and the celebration after. And then some people even, you know, go on from there of gifts or legacies they want to leave behind, things that will happen even after they pass. The only common thread of all of that is just uh, the presence and listening to truly what the individual wants. I do, I mean, with that, want to start, I guess, just making more people aware of the different options that are available and, and how you really can be the curator of this time for yourself. So if that includes different herbs and preparations, even advocating with funeral homes, or you know, if you want different preparations to the body, if you want different rituals or songs being sung, if you want different fabrics, there's different faiths that believe in processes like wrapping the bodies in silk, reading scriptures. And so I think just not leaving it to say, oh, I hope my family can just figure out how to deal with me. And this really, you know, spurred my real interest in this holistic funeral home idea I was thinking, wow, hopefully my old age age, you know, we're all hoping for that. How would I want my body to be prepared? I'd love it to be covered in herbs and wrapped in beautiful fabrics and covered in beautiful oils and, and, a, and a ritual with song and prayer and in nature and in this sort of setting. And um, and that's just not what's currently offered. A lot of funerals are held in funeral homes in downtown cities that feel stressful and rushed and there's not that kind of spaciousness and, and holistic space to have the intimacy and the connection and the, and the sensualness to really honor and celebrate the fact that we get to be in these beautiful bodies having these experiences. I think that we can all start to think about for ourselves, what would we want that process to look like? 
and know that we have command over it. And what a gift to ourselves in these vessels to say, I'd like to honor it in this final way. That is an ambition to bring into manifestation. How far along are you with the concept of establishing this type of approach to people crossing over? Yeah, well, it's, it feels like one of these things that's like this mammoth life dream. I mean, the end dream is really to have a space in nature, a facility where we could be hosting the life celebrations in nature and, and have, you know, the bereavement camps and this kind of thing. Because I think to be in nature, it just, nature can take in so much for us and help with our healing so much. So I, I believe processing these intense emotions in spaces where we can listen to our spirit, our own spiritual processes, where we can have our own spiritual connection, where we can just focus on our connection without all the distraction is really the dream. So that's, I'm open to it coming soon, as soon as possible. But I do see that I'm building something new. And even in this, you know, sometimes I get this advice where people are like, oh, you shouldn't talk about things till they're all here. But I, I really feel like I don't want there to just be one holistic funeral home. I want this to be the new way of the future where we're no longer burying bodies in toxic boxes filled with chemicals and having these processes that are leaving people very derailed and upset and not properly processing what they're going through, but to have really holistic ways of looking at these transitions through life. Everyone has the option to have a holistic funeral. If that's what they want, a more alternative and natural organic approach to this. So yeah, at this point, I'm doing this virtually mobile consulting, coming in here and there. The dream is to have this all fitting in this one facility where there could be the preparations, the bereavement, even been dreaming of when you bury bodies in on certain parts of land, the land is then uh, saved from development. And so it's like, what a, another beautiful way to steward land and to keep the energy and keep this relationship that we have with the planet. So how far off is it? I guess I'm open to the timeline being what it needs to be for it to happen. But it seems like the more that I keep talking about it, sharing it, the more it's growing and expanding and there's more pieces to the puzzle that I'm seeing, oh, wow, we could also have this and there could be this. And, and the goal is to build something big enough to sustain the whole process. Because right now I'd say it's more of a, a consultancy, you know, helper in this process, but still working in the conventional realms of, okay, how can we put some of this different way of looking at it into those realms, but hopefully eventually creating this whole new structure and system available for people and then their families as they're passing. Should someone want to provide support or financially contribute towards making this a reality, how would they go about connecting with you to cooperate or even offer up their services or land perhaps to collaborate with you on something of this magnitude? Definitely, yeah. We're realizing there's as many helpers as possible and then wanting as many people to start looking at a death in this way and, and how we're preparing. Um, at this point, like email, we've had some focus groups. We've had some times um, with different types of supporters in the project, whether it's people who want to offer more the holistic death doula specific work, working directly with people. Some people are more into, you know, music therapy and this sort of thing. Some people are into the logistics, like driving a hearse or something like that. I think I'm just interested in anyone who, you know, when we were in the hospice work, they said there's a very particular kind of person who wants to work with death and who feels comfortable with it. So I feel like anyone who feels that inkling 
we seem to find each other. We seem to be very excited to talk about ways to evolve the way that we're dealing with death and how we can better support people and have it be a more natural and organic process that's not leaving so many people so derailed in, in their own lives. So email, reach out. I'd love to chat and then see what ways they want to contribute or ideas or more insights. It's something that kind of as I go into it, I just realize there's more and more and more Then there's this piece and that piece. So I'm always happy to, to brainstorm and and, and hear more. Do you have a specific website or organization that people could communicate with you if they have an interest in that field? Yes, I do. My personal website is nicoletopetchka.com. It's just being updated right now. So hopefully it'll be live soon. And then the other organization, my partner and I have a metaphysical uh, ministry. So our church is called the Center of Evolution. People can find us through there as well. Magnificent. Some people would, based on their own social conditioning and imprinting, wonder what the morbidity of approaching things, as in someone as young and beautiful as yourself, be focusing on the idea of dealing with death. So I'd like to sweep that out of the way because it is a kind of belief system or thought pattern that needs some kind of rectification. So for the audience, what was it specifically where your own personal journey is concerned that triggered this interest to provide this kind of support and nurturing as far as the idea of grief and death? Well, from a very young age, people just always felt comfortable telling me their, their deepest, darkest secrets and, you know, times that they were struggling. And I had even some cashier jobs growing up. So I would just encounter different people. And I had multiple people just say to me at times, I'm just really going through a hard time right now. You know, I remember one woman telling me her son actually had just committed suicide and she had come to buy paint because she was trying to paint his room and fix it up and so she's you know in line at the grocery store crying to me at my till and it just so it was just that was like one of these experiences that just now I've had you know thousands of these experiences where for some reason um, and I feel very honored that people feel very comfortable talking to me especially about very hard things and there's just something about my being or my heart or my way that yeah I do really care and I'd rather talk to someone about their deepest darkest stuff that they're struggling with than the weather or sports so I guess I can invite that conversation but I see the importance of holding our fellow humans through hard times and what one present conversation could do to change the trajectory of someone's journey and because I've been there myself I dealt with different chronic health conditions that have been difficult and some health scares and you know faced my own mortality at times and had some very difficult times with my own mental health and feeling you know suicidal or having these brushes with death and then a lot of people around me experiencing death and about five years ago my partner Trevor his mother had Alzheimer's and passed and we were with her and um, as she passed and it was such a incredible honor to be with someone's body as they were going from one realm to another and we had just very intuitively set up she was at St. Joe's Hospital and they were going to move her to to hospice and then she wasn't well enough to move so they said you know we can call you uh, when it happens we'll, we'll let you know but she's not well enough to be moved and they offered that we could stay and so we went home and we got crystals and flowers and you know tarot cards and all these beautiful things and Trevor played her like a three-hour concert and had friends just in there talking about memories. And, and we just really, you know, gave honor to her. And then in the middle 
of the night, her breathing sort of started changing. And, and as she passed, we were just there praying, holding space, communicating. We had become aware at that time that sound is the last sense to go. So we just told her loving things. You know, you're safe to go. Your journey here is done. We love you. Thank you for everything. We'll do our best to carry on your legacies. And to be there in that moment, I just saw like, wow, this is something so important. And if I know that I could be there and help people through like these moments, it's so fascinating. It's such an honor. It feels so valuable to the people going through it, the people impacted by it. And then after all that happened, the people at the hospital came to us and said, wow, it was, it was amazing to watch the way you did this. And then Maybe you want to think about that. And then I was doing some spa work and some you know, different massage and Reiki and things. And then a friend had um, told me that there was a hospice just down the road from us. And so we did some training and, and started volunteering there. And then it just, just kept coming up. My, some of my good friends was all of a sudden she had this job driving a hearse and we had, and everyone that I kept meeting these new people at ceremonies and all these places. And then the first story that they would tell me would be, oh, my brother's dying right now, or, you know, my son just passed, or I'm going through this journey myself. And so it just seemed like the angel of death was around. And then I realized by talking with other death doulas and death celebrants that we're a very specific kind of niche type of person. <laughs> and we we invite, you know, the, the conversation and the essence because everyone will be touched by it. Everyone will be touched by death. And I think that that travel between realms, you know, whether it's life, death, near-death experiences, birth, all of these things are, are so incredible. Like we can't even fathom like the magic of them. And so to be present with those moments has made my life just infinitely magical because I feel like I'm always right there on the cusp of that magic and it's not so far away. So it feels like it's really kind of in my service and, and a place that I love to be is between those realms, really appreciating the magic of spirit and then the magic of getting to be here on earth in these bodies. Well, that is beautifully presented, especially for someone who may express some interest in following your footsteps along those lines and just feeling a certain element of being judged or feeling alienated because you'd be exploring something that everyone else is trying to avoid. Would you be providing some kind of education as part of this holistic approach for those people who may be aspiring towards doing precisely what you're talking about? Wow. I mean, I would love to, to get to that point. I mean, there are, depending on what you're doing, like everything, you know, there's different regulations, certifications, where you want to be working, how you want to be working. But there's so many free resources online. There's many um, great resources that different death doulas have made. And, and a lot of people really get into this work because they've had some kind of experience. Like, you know, most of the people we met in hospice, yeah, a lot of them that ended up working there were people that had had their own loved one who had gone into palliative care and they just said this is an amazing role like I think a lot of people don't even realize these roles are available so when you have your own experience and maybe someone really was there for you and your family you want to carry that forward you want to make someone else's journey easier so I think just getting involved at the level you feel comfortable with and you know even as we went through training I thought like beautiful as it is to be with people as they're passing 
it might not be something you want to do every day. It can be very heavy and challenging. You might want to do it every once in a while. Maybe you're, you want to be in the kitchen. You're in administration or fundraising or finance or something, just supporting it. So I think everyone finds their own way to support. There's so many different ways, but it's an industry that's never going out of style. It's never going out of business. So I think you can find how you want to offer. And there's, there's many hospices around that they're always seeking volunteers. There's many programs in different communities or, you know, in homework, there's virtual support, so many different ways to support. And, and even just, you know, starting with the people around you. If someone passes, like, is there ways that you could even offer your services or your support? Nicole, you're an earth angel, and I am so grateful to you for having devoted this time to us and explaining what has been very enlightening and also extremely important for so many who are in the process of grieving at this point. Once again, for our listeners to close off our conversation, tell us how they could connect directly with you to get more information, regardless of where they might be through that cycle. Sure. Thank you so much for taking the time and having this this conversation and then just opening up the perspectives and, and support and opportunities for people to support each other through challenging times. You know, we all know we could use a little extra support. <laughs> As time goes on, I'm sure we'll need more. Uh, but you can reach me at NicoleTepechka.com. That's T-U-P-E-C-H-K-A. And .com or ntepechka at gmail.com. And I would love to hear from anyone who's got some great ideas for this holistic funeral idea and anyone who's, who's needing support, whether it can be me supporting you or I can connect you to someone that can. We're not alone and you don't have to, to process anything by yourself. Thank you so, so much and continue doing your glorious work. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. This is the first in a series of interviews we are calling Young Entrepreneurs, and at the God Box Cafe, we will continue to provide you with this type of quality information that is timely and necessary towards the co-creation of our future. Until next time, be well.